Our message this week is concerning Judas, demonic possession. One of the chapters, one of the people out of the depressed people of the Bible. And we've also been looking at principles out of depression, the way out. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Judas. A couple of verses here. John chapter 6, verse 71. Judas, who was he who would betray him? And in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, Satan entered Judas. Pretty sad testimony just from those two verses regarding his experience. So what does it mean that Satan entered into Judas? One thing we know that there, it means that there is a Satan. And it's amazing how many people don't believe there is a, a devil. Even among professed Bible believers. And even among many professed Bible believers who believe there is a devil or there is a Satan, but don't really believe that he really does anything. Or doesn't really have much of an impact here. Or have no understanding of what he does and his methods of operation. And one that's because one of the things he tries to hide as much as possible, one of the things he would hate for us to know would be to understand his methods against us. So by God's grace, we'll expose some of those things tonight. So with depression, in relation to depression, depression is not demon possession. But demon possession can at times play a part in a person being depressed. At times, not always. Not all depressed people are demon-possessed. And not all demon-possessed people become depressed. And so those are some important principles for us to understand. Because it's so easy for people to just lump people. Oh, well, you got this problem, so it must be this cause. And it's not always the case. We're thinking that, well, if a person's demon-possessed, well, then they're going to be unhappy, and they're going to be crazy, and they're going to be depressed, and that's not necessarily the case. A person can be the happiest person you've ever met, never have experienced depression, and be a demon-possessed person. Could be a president of a corporation, or of a nation, or a lot of different things, and seem totally normal in many areas of their life, and maybe outwardly in all areas of their life, and yet still be demon-possessed. And a person can be depressed and experience depression. As we saw last week, even Yeshua experienced depression. Because as we learned last week, depression is not sin. It's not sinful to be depressed. So a person can be depressed and not be demon-possessed. Not have anything to do with sin at all. At times, there are sinful choices that can lead to depression. And at times, demon possession can lead to depression, or vice versa. But not always and not necessarily the case. So, before we think that we might be demon-possessed or that this person might be demon-possessed, these are the steps that I recommend doing first when dealing with depression, whether again for ourselves or someone we know. First thing you should do is get the books Depression the Way Out by Dr. Neil Nedley and Get Depressed People of the Bible. That's the first thing I would recommend someone doing. The second thing I recommend that someone would do would be to read those books. Right? Having those books and buying those books is not the same thing as reading those books, right? So that's the second most important step. The third most important step would be to put into practice everything in both of those books. It's one thing to read the books and then to not put them into practice and put the principles in there and, and the suggestions in there into practice. And that would go, of course, the same with the Bible. People can read the Bible, know the Bible, have the Bible memorized. But if we don't put it into practice, it, it won't benefit us. Right? And so the same in this situation. And that would include... Um, if necessary, seeking out uh, medical counseling or medical professionals to help you. Uh, those books do give advice on, on, because not all medical counseling is the same. 
Not all are equally as good. Some things and some suggestions could even be uh, negative and, 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 and harmful. And so there are some suggestions in there. And so that would include that, right? Include all the other things as well that, uh, that Dr. Nedley suggests, as well as the principles that we learn from these people from the Bible. And then the fourth thing that I would suggest, if that still does not work, if those do not help, if that depression does not go away, then to uh, go through a Nedley depression and anxiety recovery program, whether they're, um, they're uh, virtual or uh, program uh, online and, and communicating over the phone, or an in-person going to the facility and being a live-in uh, for a couple weeks and go through their program. And it would be well worth the cost to do so, as opposed to living with depression. They have a very, very, very high rate of success rate and very, very thorough as we've been talking some of those things. And we have some of the brochures in the foyer. And then fifth, and by far, if none of those things work, fifth and by far, the last, I would consider the possibility of there being demon possession that's keeping the person from being able to come out of the depression and to uh, live a healthy, happy, strong, godly, successful life in the Lord. But again, those are the steps. Not jumping to the last first and doing all those things and putting them into practice with every aspect of it, both health, lifestyle, the whole gamut, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and even seeking outside help and medical health, professional help if necessary. Okay, so as we look at this topic, again, it's one of the reasons it's here down at the end, wasn't the first chapter we looked at, no, neither the last, but, uh, but why it's here at this portion. Okay, so if there is a devil, as the Bible said, Satan entered Judas, why did God allow there to be a devil? If God is love, and all-loving, and all-knowing, and all-good, why would he allow there to be a devil? Well, that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked. And the simple answer, the simple reason, is a very extensive, I mean, there's a lot to it, but the simple thing to start with is because God is love. And because he is love, he gave the heavenly angels and the heavenly beings free choice. That is the most loving thing that God was able to do for his created beings. Give them the ability to be free. Give them the ability to make choices on their own. And when giving that ability, it means the choice to do right, as well as the choice to do wrong. Freedom to choose. Some people ask, a, kind of in a taunting way, uh, well, if God is all-powerful, can he create a rock so big that even he can't lift it? <laughs> well, that's a stupid question. And a simple answer would be, well, yes, of course he could, but he's not dumb enough to do something like that, right? But in one sense, God has created a rock so big that even he himself can't lift it. And that rock is free choice. It's bigger than even God. God chooses and is put in place in order for it to be free choice, that he would not remove that from us. And it's not free. And it's not choice. And so he allows us, in a sense, to be more powerful than even him in that area. That we have the ability to say no to God. And even though Lucifer was a created being covering cherub, probably one of the angels that covered the throne of God, that close to God's throne, God gave him free choice, and he chose to reject God's love and infinite wisdom. And with that, he convinced one-third of the angels to follow him. And they had to be cast out of heaven. Wrong choices have consequences. 
And think, I mean, how amazing that is. For one-third of all the angels, and the Bible talks about there currently being of heaven, angels in heaven, myriads and myriads and thousands and tens of thousands and ten thousands, tens of thousands. Beyond what we can imagine, a number beyond what we can figure. And yet previously there was even more and one-third of those who never saw sin, who never saw death, never saw troubles or heartache or problems, had easy streak, had everything provided for them, happiness and joy throughout the universe, seeing God, knowing God. And one-third of them were able to be deceived and tricked and choose to reject God and to fight against God. <coughs> if we think the devil can't trick us or can't infiltrate humanity, when he was able to do it, the devil was able to do that in heaven, then we are self-deceiving and under a delusion and will be unprepared for the battle that we're in. And we are in a battle. We are in the midst of a conflict. We are in the midst of a great controversy between God and Satan. And we are the things they're fighting over. We are the possession they are fighting over. We are the precious treasure they are fighting over. We have the rope in this tug of war. And thus how much more we need to be in tune with God and surrendered to God and close to God with our history and with our past and with our surrounded with sin and surrounded with temptation. Again, if one third of the angels in a pure and perfect place could fall, how much more can we? But even though one-third were cast out, and even though the devil was cast out and chose to sin, that still remains two-thirds remain on God's side. So God is more than a match. And even though the devil is a deceiver and, and uses his deceptive powers very seducively and powerfully over humanity, the Bible says that all power and all dominion and all authority has been given over to Yeshua. That doesn't leave much left for the devil, does it? And we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, God's got the devil outnumbered all the way around. He's more than a match for the devil. He's able to, well able to help us and protect us and sustain us and deliver us if we come under his banner. So why does God allow Satan to tempt us? Well, some of the same reasons, free choice. To expose Satan's lies to the universe for all eternity. A confirmation of God's love, mercy, and justice. And a demonstration of our loyalty. Right, before you would invite someone to come and stay in your house or rent a room to them, you'd want a background check. You'd want to know something about them, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're, you know, want to be safe. When it's like everybody, anybody in, I think that's a wise thing to do. You don't want to get stabbed in the, in the middle of the night. <laughs> Especially if they have a known past history of doing wrong. Well, certainly the unfalling angels and all the created beings in God's universe have a right to know who God is inviting in. And so before they open, you know, have open arms to let us in, they have a right to know what side we're going to choose, what side we're going to be on. And so he allows us to go through, he allows the devil to tempt us as a demonstration of our loyalty to God, of which side we have chosen, of who we want to follow, because it's for keeps, for all eternity. And if God would allow even one person with just one sinful attitude, one sinful part of their lives in, it would destroy all the beauty of heaven, just as Lucifer already did once. And also, again, is to expose Satan's lies to the universe. Now, imagine you're at work, and it's heard around that someone has been stealing. Things are missing. Things are going missing. Something's happening. Things are disappearing in the workplace. And then you're called into the manager's office and the owner's there, and they tell you that one of your coworkers, Lucy, 
has identified you as the criminal. And she's willing to testify in court as a witness against you. What would you do? Now, of course, the intelligent thing to do would be to kill her, right? You just get rid of her, right? Just kill her, right? Yeah, that's it. That's what you'd have to do. Would it solve the problem, right? She's gone. What would happen if you did that? You would be arrested for murder and for stealing. For trying to get rid of the evidence. Tampering with the evidence. Right? So that wouldn't be a good thing to do. And that is why Satan could not just destroy the devil from the beginning. Because if he would have done that, then the rest of the angels would have gone, oh, oh, Satan was right. He's not a nice guy. He's really not loving. We really can't trust him. You disagree with him once and that's it. And they would serve him out of fear. They would either serve God out of fear, not out of love, or they would totally reject him and join Satan's side. So what the intelligent thing to do would be to call a private detective who sets up some hidden cameras in the workplace, who stations himself as a worker and keeping an eye on things. And then one day he calls you and says, we got it on tape. There was another theft. We have the person. We're calling the authorities. And it's Lucy. And so this world, what we're living in, what we're experiencing, is the whole universe watching and seeing this battle taking place and whose side, for all eternity, they want to be on. A demonstration that God is love, that God is good, and that the devil has been the liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. What a high privilege an awesome responsibility that God gives to us that we get to protect God's character, that we get to testify that, yes, God is good, that God is right. We get to be the key witnesses that all the universe is watching to see how this battle between God and Satan plays out. God puts that much trust in you and me. So what does it mean when the Bible says Satan entered Judas? There are different levels and different ways that the devil tempts us or deals with us or harasses us or persecutes us or tries to get us to fall. So I'm going to look at four different ways and probably could divide it up into any number of ways, categories in just four different ways, four categories. First one I'm going to look at is harassment. An example of harassment is the book of Job, the story of Job. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man in his generation, in all his ways. And that Satan met with God and all the sons of God. And at that meeting, God asked the devil, where you been? And he said, I've been roving to and fro throughout the earth. In other words, I own the whole earth. Every area of it's mine. I can go anywhere I want and do anything I want there. And God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? You don't have his heart. You don't have residence in his mind. You don't have control over him. He's not yours. He's mine. And so God and the devil set Job up as just again that Whose side is he going to be on? For all of us to see and for all the universe, for all eternity to see. And so the devil says, well, that's only because you're so good to him. Because you've blessed him so much. You take away those blessings, he's only serving you out of selfish reasons and selfish motives. You take that away from him, he'll curse you to your face. He will hate you, just like I do. He won't trust you. God said, no, I think he will. I give you permission to do whatever you want. Just don't touch Job. And so Satan went about causing disaster after disaster, harassing Job. 
caused all his possessions to be gone, stolen, destroyed, even his children, all to die in an instant. And all of these events, almost seemingly one after another, all in rapid succession. And news comes to Job, and he says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so even with nothing now, he still did not sin. He still chose God over the things of this world. And so he testified. He won that battle. But the devil wasn't over yet. Wasn't done yet. He came to God again and said, well, that's only because you didn't let me touch his body. Let me inflict him. Let it become personal. And you will see he will not love you. He will not turn to you. He will not trust you. And so God had so much faith in Job. And God has so much faith in you and me that he allowed Job to be the ultimate test. And he said, okay, you can have at it. Just don't take his life. I put limits on it. Just don't take his life. And so Satan went at it, harassing Job and causing boils and pain to take place over his entire body. And even through all of that, Job remained faithful to the Lord and did not sin and won the battle. And in the end, God restored his health and his possessions and blessed him. And so that's harassment. And again, it's a good picture of what this entire universe and our lives are like every day in that mirror and that battle between God and Satan. So that's a form of harassment that the devil does to us. That's why sometimes your car breaks down for seemingly no reason, reason or you get sick. Or sometimes it's just sickness. Sometimes it's wrong choices on our part. Didn't put oil in the car, right? You know, sometimes we can make dumb choices, wrong choices. You know, signal right and turn left or something like that. You know, we can make wrong choices and, and cause action. But sometimes things just happen because we're on a fallen planet. Or because other people have free choice and make bad choices that affect us. And sometimes things just happen because the devil is trying to harass us. And so that's one way he tries to attack us. Another way is temptation. And this picture is very real throughout our lives. And again, with one-third of the angels that were scattered from all over the universe, were thrown to one tiny little speck of a dust of a planet right here. Which means they're everywhere. So yes, there is a demon behind every rock, without a doubt. But again, for everyone, there's two of God's heavenly angels, too, on our side, and an omnipresent God. And so they are tempting us at all times, pulling on us, whispering in our ears. The devil is, or one of his demons, and God is, or one of his angels, trying to pull us and draw us on whose side. So we hear these voices, we hear these thoughts, these thoughts come into our heads, and most of those thoughts are not ours. Those thoughts, do this, don't do this, that would be good, it wouldn't be good, you know, back and forth. We wrestle with that. And then the decision that we make, who we choose to listen to, that's us. That's our choice. That's our thoughts. But those thoughts that bombard us all day long to do right or do wrong, that's these two powers waging over us. And thus again, we are the thing that they are fighting over. We are that rope being pulled back and forth and back and forth. And the more we choose God, the easier it gets. And the stronger we are on that side. And the more we waffle and go back and forth, the harder it is. And so that's temptation. Satan whispering in stirring up our inner passions and inner emotions. But sin in and of itself is not, uh, temptation in and of itself is not sin. Again, last week we saw Yeshua was tempted in all ways, just like we are, and yet did not sin. And so it wasn't sinful for the thought to come into his head, Satan speaking, whispering into him, turn these rocks into bread. Right? That would not be sin. That was not sinful to hear that. And hearing it, it went through his thought process. So when does it become sin? You have to think about it for a second, five seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. How long before the thought becomes sin? 
Well, not only when we act on it, because Yeshua said, even if you think in your heart, if you lust with your eyes, right? if you hate with your mind, you've committed the sin already. So there is a point, but I don't think it's based on time, I think it's more based on desire. When our desire, when our heart starts leaning towards that thought. But it's hard to tell, the line is so fine, so thin, I think it's a whole lot safer just to confess it the second the thought pops in your head, right? And then if God, when he's going over the records and going over the judgment, he says, I don't know why he confessed that. I don't know. He never sinned that. It was just a temptation. He never, he never sinned it. Better to have it there and, and blot it out than the error on the other side and not confess it, deceiving yourself. Well, it was just a temptation. I really never did desire it. Right? So just take the temptation and just confess it. It's a lot safer. That's temptation, again, when it becomes desire and then it becomes sin. So Satan works that way, but we have wonderful promises in the Bible. James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So as we submit to God, God gives us his power, he gives us his spirit, gives us his grace, so that we have the power to resist the devil. And as we resist the devil, he will flee. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I write to you, so that you may not sin. Right, so we can't have victory over temptation. We do not have to sin. Just as Yeshua did not sin, and he came in the flesh and came like us in all ways. And he can give us his Holy Spirit so that we have the power to resist. I write to you so that you may not sin. We don't have to sin. We don't have to choose to rebelliously, consciously, purposely rebel against God, disobey God. We don't have to have any known sin on our record. Because God will give us a way of escape. He'll give us the ability to bear up against it. And he won't allow us to be tempted beyond which he knows we're able to handle by his grace, by his power, by his strength, in our, the place of growth that we are at in the Lord. Just like with Job. Didn't allow him to be tempted or harassed beyond which he knew he was able to resist. Again, more loving God who will protect us, but lets us grow and lets us demonstrate his power in our lives. And so the more we're harassed and shows that more and tempted, that means that God had put more trust in us, more faith in us to stand for him. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Amen? Hallelujah? More power, more grace available to us. And no temptation except is common. Right? So you're being tempted, you're being harassed. Hey, that's nothing new. You're not alone. That's just how it is on this earth. But God will see us through it. By his grace as we trust in him. Third area I want to look at is control. Yeshua took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Right? This picture is. Beautiful location. Most northern portion of ancient Israel and modern Israel as well today. Right where the headwaters of the Jordan River come pouring out of the rocks. And he took them up there to ask them one specific question. Yeshua asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Immerser, some Elijah, or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Yeshua said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you, and he goes on saying some things to Peter, and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the gates of hell don't have to prevail against us by his grace and by his power. Now a few things here. So he brings them up there and he says, who do people say that I, the son of man, is, am? 
Again, last week we saw that he came as the son of man, the son of humanity, the root of David, the seed of Abraham. And then he say this and that, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's really what matters. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anyone else says or anyone else thinks. In the judgment, it's going to come down to who did you say that he is? Not just with your words, but with our lives. Is he our Lord? Have we surrendered all to him and made him the Lord of our lives? Is he the Messiah to us? Is he the deliverer to us? Is he our savior? Has he actually saved us? From both the punishment of sin, we accepted his death and his blood for forgiveness, and our savior from the power of sin. Has he saved us over temptation? Has he been our savior? So Simon Peter says, yes, he's the, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Yeshua said to him, you didn't learn that from anybody here. My Father who's in heaven spoke to you, Peter. My Father who is in heaven is speaking through you. And you're open and you're receptive and you're hearing him. I mean, what a great compliment. Wow. Hearing from God. He's in tune with God. And then just three verses later, verse 21, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. He went from, the Father is speaking through you, to get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me. <laughs> you're not mindful of the things of God. And he said it to Peter. That's what it says. He said to Peter. So how on earth could Peter have the Father speaking through him, and three verses later, the devil speaking through him? Because we are compartmentalized. We're, you know, we are lots of things, right? Within a day, you could be a, a parent, an employee, a, an employer, a landlord, a, a child, a, a neighbor. Lots of different things we are. It's the same in our mind. So the area of who the Messiah is, what, who Yeshua was, Peter had right. In that area, he was right. In that area, he was surrendered to God. In that area, he was willing to accept what the Father was saying. But in the area of what the Messiah's role would be, he was not willing to accept yet. He wanted him to be king. He wanted him to fight as a warrior. He wanted him to come and do battle. In that area, Satan had control over. and was able to speak through Peter. And that's why Yeshua spoke to Peter, but he was speaking to the devil that was speaking through Peter. Not only Peter was possessed here, because it doesn't say any demons came out or anything, but that area he was controlled. That's why I make a differentiate between temptation, sin, and possession with this middle ground of control. That area, just that one area, the devil had control over him, Peter, and was able to speak through him to try and discourage Yeshua and the other disciples. And Yeshua would not allow that to happen and had to rebuke it right there and then and openly. Now, how did Peter deal with it? He obviously accepted it. Peter was willing to take rebuke and surrender and continue to walk with him because then after that, just six days after this experience, Yeshua takes Peter and John and James up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And so Peter obviously didn't get offended by that. I mean, pretty offensive, pretty strong statement. Peter humbly accepted Yeshua's rebuke in that area. And it's this type of control that is, might be why sometimes for some people, some sins are harder to overcome than others. Where some people, person might give up heroin like that, no problem. But try and give up smoking and they can't do it. And they struggle and struggle and struggle with it. You know, or gossip and pride or whatever. You know, whatever the sin is, 
Some things that they find easier by choose, surrendering to God, submitting to God, and resisting the devil, and they have victory over it. And then other areas, it's a real struggle. Because that area might be, and then for someone else, it might be just the opposite. We're giving up one sin was so easy, and the other sin was so hard. Depends on what area has been more surrendered to the devil. Now, we're complex people. There's a lot to us. And the devil's very complex, and he's got a lot of different tools at his disposal and his lies. So we're just trying to explain some of the things here, but there's so many different aspects to it that we're not able to cover it all or even know it all. The most important thing I'm trying to bring out is there's various different ways that Satan works to try and trip us up. And there's various different degrees that he is able to pressure us with. That's the point. And we see these biblical examples of that. And so then possession. Satan entered Judas. Which means clearly the devil is able, or his evil angels, the demons, are able to enter into people. And the Bible talks about a number of different people who are demon-possessed. Some that were delivered. Such as this story in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 16. Paul, or probably uh, Luke talking. We met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, who was bring, bringing her masters much profit from her fortune-telling. Following after us, she kept shouting, These men are servants of El Elyon, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. Paul was irritated and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Messiah Yeshua to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. And her master saw that the hope of profit was gone. We can learn a lot of things from this short passage. Had a spirit of divination. So the spirit, this demon, had a specific name and was able to control a specific area of this girl's life. This girl was not in a graveyard cutting herself and crazy and lunatic. She's walking around the streets selling stuff and doing fortune telling and then following Paul and, and Luke and the others. Speaking normally, but this one area of divination, the devil came in, controlled over, and gave her the ability to fortune tell and earn her masters lots of money. And so he's controlling that area, just that area. So different demons have different assignments to possess, to compel a person to do. And they have no control over it, of that area of their life. Might be, again, normal in every other area, like Judas. Yeshua pointed out that Judas was going to betray him, and none of the disciples can even tell. Who is it? Is it I that's going to betray you? They couldn't imagine that it could possibly be Judas. And yet, Satan had entered him. And then she's following Paul, and she's shouting. These men are the servants of the Most High God. They're speaking the truth. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. I mean, how would you like that as an advertising campaign? Wouldn't it be great if we could hire someone to stand out on the street and do that every week for us? Right? That would be fabulous. They're getting them for free. She's doing it for free. She's going up and down the streets saying, come listen to Paul. Listen to the way of salvation. Come to him. Accept what he's saying. That's great. So that area, she's wanting to follow, wanting to accept. And it seems that Paul didn't even realize at first, because several this goes on for several days. And then he realized what's happening. He turns around and he rebukes it. In the name of the Lord, in the power and authority of the Lord. And it came out of her. And if it came out, it was in. <laughs> It can't come out if it wasn't in first. So it was in her. The demon was in her, controlling that area of her life. And then when it was rebuked by the power and authority in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, it had to come out. And it came out. And as soon as it came out, others noticed and others could tell. Her masters could tell. She can't earn us any money anymore. It's gone. And so dramatic change takes place. And I don't believe 
It's possible to uh, unmistakably say, this person has a demon, this person doesn't have a demon, until the demon comes out. So anyone who says they do, or you know, nowhere in the Bible that there's a, a gift, or a spiritual gift of, of uh, demonic deliverance, right? There's the gift of teaching, and of preaching, and administration, lots of different gifts in the Bible mentioned. There's none that say, this person, that's their, that's their one role, right? So anyone who tells you they have the, the, the ability to cast out demons, that this is their profession, this is their ministry, this is what they do, I'd run away from that. When God gives all his children through the power in the name of the Lord, the authority, by his strength, by his power, by his grace, by his act, to work on his behalf and to pray and intercede for people. Anyone who says that's their ministry, Paul didn't make that his ministry. Right? But he was used by God and commanded the demon and it came out. And they didn't know until afterwards and everyone could see the demon came out and she was not the same. So this, this might be a, an analogy to help us understand. Was that girl, that young slave girl, was she bad because she had a spirit of divination? No. Right. She just had a demon in controlling that area of her life. And so it's an analogy of, of like a flu, right? When a person has a flu, right, their body begins to change. Their nose might run, their throat might get sore, might get a headache, might get a high fever, right? Get the sweats or, or whatever, right? Was the person wanting those things? Are they wanting to have a runny nose? Are they wanting to have a sore throat? Are they wanting to have a high fever? No, they don't want that. So why are they doing that? Why is their nose running? Why is their throat sore? Why do they have a headache? Why do they have a fever? Because there's a foreign living virus entity that has come into their body and is manipulating their lives, possessing their body, at least certain areas of their bodies, and causing their body to do things that they don't want done. And so like a demon can come in. Is a person bad because they have a flu? No. Can they do bad things to get a flu? Yeah, you can make wrong choices, right? You can go outside with wet hair on a cold day, right? You know, you can, you can do stupid things that can get you a flu, right? You get, you get you a cold. Um, but that's not, to have the flu is not to be a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person because you have a flu. You're just a person with a virus inside. And what happens when the virus dies, when your antibodies build up and kill the virus? What happens? What happens to the nose, the throat? That, it all goes away. And so when the demon is cast out, so a person is not bad because they have a demon. And just as Peter was able to speak for God and speak, uh, the devil speak through him, it is possible for a believer to have a demon controlling a certain area of their life. Some people don't believe that. And I think that would be the ultimate deception on Satan's part. Because if he can get us to think that we, we're, if we're saved, we can't have a demon, well then, when we believe that we're saved, and there's an area of our life that we're struggling, and we, can, we can't be a demon, well then we'll excuse it away. And deny it. Or the opposite, we'll begin to doubt our salvation. But the demon could have entered before we were believers. They don't automatically all don't pop out when we, when we come to the Lord. It's step by step that he begins to change our life and transform our lives. Salvation has two, sets, two steps to it, two aspects to it. Justification, the work that Yeshua did in our behalf before we were born without our permission in dying for us, taking our sins upon himself and forgiving them. Freely. He did that freely. Again, without our permission before we were born. We receive the benefit of that by faith when we accept it and are justified and receive that salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Another aspect of salvation, another segment of salvation, is sanctification. That is still God's work. It's all God's work, both the justification and the sanctification, the forgiveness and the transformation, both his work. Second part is his work in us, through us, now, today, only with our permission. And that's a step-by-step, step, giving us 
victory over sin. Justification is victory over the punishment of sin. Sanctification is the victory over the temptation to sin. Victory over sin. Victory over wrong choices. Victory to do the right thing, to make the right choice. And so the devil could have entered in before we became the Lord, and then step by step, as he reveals various different areas, various different segments in our lives, and then when he gets to that segment, that area, and he knows we're ready to receive that, and to, to be cleansed of that, and, and delivered from that, and, and experience victory in that area, he reveals that, convicts us in that area. And then if we choose to say, no, 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 I want to keep that, well, then it becomes sin. But up until that point, it's an unknown sin, just working along until he gets to that area. And then when he gets to that area, he can give us the power, the victory, in that area as well. And so it is possible, because again, we're not bad just because a demon is living in us. It's controlling that area, but he can be cast out as the Lord reveals it and shows it. And once it's cast out, that area of our life is free. We can be free indeed. Now, I don't know anywhere in the Bible, any example in the Bible, where someone prays and delivers themselves. In every instance of deliverance taking place, Someone else is praying for them. And we don't have time to get into all the different aspects, but in this chapter on Judas, in the book, Depression, the, way, the uh, Depressed People of the Bible, it goes through some principles of getting the demons cast out. One of the things is this story here from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 13. Seven sons of Sceva tried to invoke the name of the Lord Yeshua, saying... I charge you by Yeshua, whom Paul preaches. But the evil spirit answered them, I know Yeshua, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit sprang at them, subdued and overpowered all of them, so that they fled out of his house naked and wounded. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get a good picture of that to, to show you, right? But uh, that must have been something, huh? One guy... Beats up and strips and bruises and casts out seven guys. It's not a formula. It's not just saying the right words. They said the right words. They named, used the name of Yeshua. It's not the, just the words. The heart has to be right. The heart, of the, the heart of the person who wants to be delivered has to be right. Seeking it, wanting it. And the people praying for him have to be right with the Lord surrendered, allowing God to search their hearts and see if there is any known, current, cherished, rebelliously held on to, consistent sin taking place in their life. And again, we don't have to have that. We don't have to, at any time in our life, have a known, cherished, rebelliously held on to, purposeful committing sin. And so, cleansed by the blood of the Lord, both justified and sanctified in Him at that point, in that area, and then teaming up with others to pray and intercede for that person. I don't recommend doing it by yourself. As Yeshua said, go two by two and be unified. You have to be a team. The team can't be divided up because Satan would love to divide and conquer. So there are a number of different principles that are covered. But it's no uh, joking matter. It's dangerous. Now, I don't believe a demon can transfer just from casual contact, right? You can't bump into someone in a store and a demon jump into you, right? Uh, but there are ways that we can make ourselves open. A demon might have jumped out of that, that guy and into those seven guys. They would have opened themselves up by doing this stupid thing. Right? There are various different things you can do that would open yourself up for a demon to jump in. They seem to enter a number of different ways. Could be through hereditary the third and fourth generation, doesn't always transfer that way, and I don't know why. Why to some children and not to others? I have no idea. The devil doesn't play fair. It doesn't seem fair that he should be able to enter into the child from the parents, but the devil does not play fair. And again, even if it does, God's able to deliver the child. Right? Sometimes they can enter in through a person's will being broken, through abuse, through rape, something like that. Uh, not always. Why some rapes and not other rapes? I don't know. But again, that's not what's important. It's not so important as how did the person get the virus as getting rid of the virus. 
Right? It's not as important as why do some people in the room get sick as opposed to making sure that those that are sick get well. That's what counts. It's not as important as how the devil got in. It's important to get the devil out. That's what counts. That's where the focus needs to be. And so again, a believer can be a believer and then you know, get abused for whatever reason. The devil gives free choice to, uh, God gives free choice to someone and, and, and they go and abuse one of us, right? And the devil can enter in. But then again, they could be cast out. Right? So it's not problem because God is more powerful than the devil and that's what counts and they can also seem to come in through continuous wrong choices if we continue to yield to temptation in a certain area they seem to gain more and more access going from temptation to control to then possession so there's various different ways they can enter in but again the key is they they have to leave under the name and authority and power of Yeshua the Messiah because of what he has done in our behalf. And that's the key. There is victory in the Lord. He is more than a match. And so let's look at Judas' life through the 10 hits of Dr. Nedley's uh, Depression, The Way Out book. So genetic, we don't have enough history of Judas to know if he had a genetic hit. We don't know if he had family history of it. Developmental, we don't have a record of his childhood, so we don't know. Lifestyle, he seemed to have been getting plenty of exercise and sunlight and fresh air. Circadian rhythm, that might have been off. You know, the last week, that Passover week, that last week there, no doubt stressful on everybody, a lot of traveling, a lot of preparation, plus his plotting and going and his, what he was planning on doing, and he might have had some sleepless nights, and we certainly know that last night was a sleepless night. He was in the middle of the night with Yeshua. So several things leading up to that could have been, circadian rhythm could have been way off. Addiction. We know that Yeshua would not have given his disciples alcohol. I mean, he would not deaden the frontal lobe. Certainly not on the night he's going to be tempted above all temptations, and his disciples as well. I don't believe Yeshua would give a poison to his disciples, but we don't know what Judas was doing on the side, but I don't think so. Uh, nutrition, might add good nutrition at that time. Toxicity, we don't know. Uh, social grief. Well, Judas was under a lot of stress with what he was plotting and planning to do. And after he betrayed Yeshua, I'm sure he felt rejected by the disciples and felt like there was no support group. And he no doubt experienced grief. And seeing his plan didn't work out, I don't, I don't think he wanted to see Yeshua die. And it didn't work out as he planned. I think maybe he wanted Yeshua to throw off his, you know, the cloak and fight the battle and win them ready. Be that type of Messiah we want to go and defeat the enemy. You're trying to push him to that maybe. So it didn't work out, and so he experienced great loss. Medical, we don't know his medical history. Frontal lobe, we do know that he was acting against his conscience to do that, to sell out Yeshua. And so we see at least three hits on there, and so now doubt something else threw him over, because then Judas hanged himself. A sad end to such a promising life one of the twelve of Yeshua. And so if we think people can't be following Yeshua and have a demon, well, Judas did. He was one of the twelve. We compare Judas with Peter. Peter also betrayed Yeshua that night. But Peter chose to surrender under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and went out and confessed his sin and repented and received the forgiveness of God. That's really the difference between the two. That Yeshua was willing to, uh, Peter was willing to receive the rebuke. He was willing to receive the correction. He was willing to surrender under that correction. And Judas wasn't. Judas could have been forgiven. Judas could have repented just as easily as Peter. They were both disciples. They both made a wrong choice that night. Judas could have been delivered. Yeshua was reaching out to him right there in the Passover especially and trying to touch his heart. And that's the difference. So it's the same with us. We have the same choices as Judas and Peter. Are we willing to surrender all and accept Yeshua's love and his sacrifice in our behalf? Accept his death for the forgiveness of sins? We're willing to accept the Holy Spirit to give us victory over sin. We're willing to submit to him 
and resist the devil. We're willing to make the Lord our God, our God our Lord, to rule over every aspect of our lives, to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and be lifted up. Yeshua continued to reach out to Peter because I'm sure Peter was still feeling horrible. As that night of the court hearing of Yeshua's trial before Pilate, when Peter denied him three times, with a fire going on, it was at night, it says there was a fire there. Peter was warming himself by the fire. And they asked him, aren't you one of those his disciples? And he denied him three times with cursing. Well, after Yeshua's resurrection, he tells Mary to go and tell Peter and the disciples to meet me up in Galilee. What love. Could have just said the disciples, including Peter. But he specifically called out Peter. Tell Peter and the disciples, I want to meet them. And then several days later, they're up in Galilee, and Yeshua does meet them. They're out fishing. What on earth are they doing fishing after the resurrection? I have no idea. (laughs) But they're fishing, and Yeshua calls them in. And he has a fire there for them. And they bring in some of the fish, and he cooks a breakfast for them. And sitting at that fire, Yeshua asks Peter three times, Do you love me? What Yeshua was doing in great mercy and love to us, to Peter, does the same for us. As he was taking that bad experience of at a fire for the rest of Peter's life, every time he's in front of a fire, he will remember denying Yeshua. And so Yeshua took that memory and replaced it with a different memory. And so in front of a fire, he asked them three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then from from then on, Peter, when he's in front of a fire, he'll be reminded, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, lead my flock. I was telling this very story on the Sea of Galilee. There's no better place to tell it. And there was a lady in our group, Donna, her grandson died. He was a street cleaner. He was in one of those trucks, the street cleaning trucks, and it was a heavy rain and flooding taking place, and he was crossing a bridge, and the bridge was overflowing, and it just took the truck and dumped it in the river, and they never found him. And he died. Well, while we were on our way down to the boat to the Sea of Galilee to go to the place where Yeshua called the disciples and spoke with them there on the beach, on our way there from the hotel, we're walking to the, to the dock. A street cleaner came by. And Donna said, after I told the story, how the, the fire, she said, this morning was the first time I saw a street cleaner since my grandson died. And now I am able to remember being on the Sea of Galilee, remembering all of God's miracles here, remembering God's great love here, remembering this scenery and God's great love for my grandson and how if he didn't give up on Peter, he didn't give up on my grandson either. God took that memory, took that visualization and changed it around for her. And God does that for us as well. He'll turn all things out together for good to those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Even demon possession or control or temptation, whatever. He's more than a match. And God can make us victorious and overcome as he overcame. So do you have a better understanding of why God did not destroy Lucifer from the start. Understanding that that Lucy experienced that if he would have killed him, it just would have caused more confusion than, and that's why he's allowing it to continue. And if so, then thank God for that understanding. Do you now better understand how wonderful, how the one, how wonderful, do you now better understand how the wonderful gift of free choice has also been the reason why there is suffering in the world. 
God's love for you, you get your free choice. It's the greatest gift God has given to us in addition to salvation. So we can thank him for that too. Three, have you had a hard time receiving correction? True humility and the ability to receive rebuke is a gift from God. It does not come naturally. Choose to surrender to God and let him give you the mind of Yeshua. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So surrender, that applies to you in a moment when we pray. Surrender your resistant to rebuke, resistant to correction, whether it's the Holy Spirit convicting you or someone speaking to you. Be willing to receive correction. Be more like David and Peter than Judas and Saul. Four, Satan caused Job to lose all of his children and many possessions. But even though Job did not realize it was Satan who was causing those problems, he still chose to trust that God was good, loving, and knew what was best. If you've been tempted to blame God or to be angry at God for any suffering you've experienced, are you willing now to say by faith, as Job did, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So if you're experiencing any type of loss, loss of a loved one, the loss of a position, the loss of ability, some type of loss, you're grieving something, you're willing to surrender it to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, no good thing will you withhold from them that walk uprightly. If it was good for me to still have that right now, then I'd have it. But you know what's best? I trust you. You've given, you've taken away, but regardless, blessed be the name of the Lord. And if that applies to you, you can say that now in your hearts and minds, or outwardly if you want, or in a moment when we pray. Five, do you appreciate that God has entrusted to you the powerful freedom of choice and is allowing you to demonstrate to the universe that Satan is a liar and that God is just and good? And if you're willing to take on that mantle and say, yes, Lord, use me, Use me as a living witness, not only here, but for all eternity and to all the universe. Put the armor of God on me. Cover me with your righteousness. Cover me with your holiness. And prepare me for the battle. And if that's your desire, in a moment when we pray, let God do that in your life. Six, do you want to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with grace so that you will pass the test of your loyalty to God now and forever and for him to give you the power to always choose God over willful sin. If you'd like to have the victory, if you'd like to have God's power over willful sin, cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. Deliver me. Empower me. Fill me with your spirit. And if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, you can do that. Seven. Is there some area of your life in which you have not been able to gain the victory, no matter how many times you've prayed, confessed, and sought the Lord about it? Maybe a demon is possessing that area of your life. If so, continue in prayer, continue to surrender that area of your life, ask God if there's something about that sin that needs to be confessed, or if there's someone you need to forgive, Ask God to give you the ability to forgive that person, persons, or yourself. Seek out godly friends who are covered in the armor of God, who understand the battle between God and Satan, who know how to dependently call on the power of the name of the Lord and ask them to intercede on your behalf and to pray with you for deliverance. So if that applies to you, and again, it's more than just confessing, right? So if we're just confessing the sin and never getting down to the root, it might just be the root might be the problem, right? If you go pick dandelions out of your yard and don't dig out the root and just grab them and cut them off, they're going to grow right back up. Got to get the root, as Yeshua said, the root. Right? So you might just be confessing, Lord, I got angry again today, I got angry again today, I got angry again today. But what is the root? Why were you getting angry? And so pray about that. And it might just be that. And if God reveals the root and then you confess the root, and the plant dies. And so it might be that, might not be possession. Do those things first. But if even after all of that, and you continue to struggle and struggle, and can't have a victory over a certain area in your life, there's a certain area where you just have no control for some strange reason, then this might be the reason. And then seek out godly people to intercede for you. 
And so if any of those seven things apply to you, let us pray and let God do his work in us. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for entrusting us with free choice. Thank you, Father, for entrusting us with your Son. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving your life for us. Thank you for delivering us from our sins. Thank you for taking them upon yourself. Thank you for killing them, for burying them, for destroying them and wiping them out. Thank you for being victorious over temptation and over Satan. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Give us your mind. Let this mind be in us that was in you. Give us your mind. Give us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into us. Live in us and out of us. Make us victorious. Convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Show us right from wrong. Pull us, draw us onto you. Yeshua said, if you be lifted up, you'll draw all men onto you. Draw us onto you. Give us the ability to surrender. Give us a humble spirit. Give us submission to you. Give us power to resist. And give us full deliverance. And work in us and through us for your honor and glory. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.